Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Central Work Script Club. I'm Patricia Milton, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Mildred Inez Lewis about her world premiere play at Central Works, the Museum Annex. We also get a pop-in question from Central Works resident sound designer, Greg Sharpen, who engineers our podcast. Mildred Inez Lewis is a published and produced writer and director. After Oberlin College, she began her career as a director in the Actors Studios Playwrights and Directors Unit and Circle Reps Lab. After graduating from UCLA's film school with a Samuel Goldwyn Screenwriting Award, she has been writing poems, plays, screenplays, and digital content. Welcome, Mildred. Hi, Patricia, and hi to everybody who's listening in the Central Works family. I know that you're a director and a playwright and an educator, and you also work in film and audio and Zoom, Zoom plays. So tell me a little bit about your various careers. Um, I started as a director um, from New York, and um, I started at the Actors Studio and Circle Repertory Lab, directed Off-Broadway, directed um, in Sharon, Connecticut, and other regional theaters in the tri-state area represented the United States at the International Theater Festival in Baltimore, and um, really loved what I was doing. Um, I'd originally started in music and sort of made a sidestep from conducting to theater. And I was so fortunate to get involved with, you know, the the studio and National Black Theater, like right from the beginning. I didn't start writing until I went to film school with the idea of working in production. Uh, My dad was one of the first black film chemists. And um, I didn't have a car, so I was determined to graduate. So I I looked at the catalog and I thought, okay, screenwriting has eight units. (laughs) That will get me my degree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the truth of it. And um, I was really, again, fortunate to win the Samuel Goldwyn Award, uh, which started me on screenwriting. And then uh, later that year, I won the HBO New Writers Award. So really, I got into writing you know, just as sort of a sidestep, you know, process. And I'm so thankful that I did. And and then I went back to writing plays, having written for television, having written a feature film and having sold two feature films. So what's the difference in approaching film versus theater? And which maybe do you prefer? I think that they're really different. I mean, they share a lot in terms of collaboration. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, performance is involved, but the experience that I want to deliver in on stage where you're watching people sweat and you're talking to people and you're having conversations afterward is really different than the experience of watching a film. Um, and so I think about them completely differently. With theater, I take more risks. I deal with more topical material. I feel more free to do experimentation. With film, I feel a little bit more constrained, but on the other hand, you're able to do these amazing things visually that you know capture an audience and really create this intimacy between the audience and the actor. I mean, there's nothing like the close-up mm-hmm. to make you feel like you know, you're right sharing breath with these amazing actors. So I, I think about them really differently and I try to deliver different things. With the stage, I try to deliver engaging stage images because we live in a visual culture but mm-hmm. I want to deliver politics and, and crazy ideas. And, you know, I want the audience to feel feel and, and to, to wait for the intermission or wait till after the show and be buzzing. 
that doesn't happen in film. But I want people to leave film like they uh, of mine like they're leaving a kind of a dream. That you know that they've seen oh, something really lovely. beautiful and magnificent. And you know my first feature, Unbowed, uh, was based on an historical uh, event. Uh, it was about a a group of Indians that were sent to an all-black school, Hampton Institute, to see if they could, quote, be educated. Mm. And that is just so wild to think about, that that's how Booker T. Washington actually made his mark in life. I still get letters about it today. It still runs on stars and, you know, but the images, you know, are what people talk about, the emotion are what people talk about, as opposed to, like, the experience of being in a room and laughing with 100 people uh -huh. or... 500 people. Speaking of political and wild ideas, <laughs> uh, the museum Annex is playing at Central Works, and you were inspired by a satirical play by playwright George C. Wolfe, also oh, a yes. director. And that premiered in 1986, The Colored Museum. And that play has electrified and made people uncomfortable and delighted <laughs> them ever since. So can you talk about your introduction to that play and your process of building the annex? Sure. I came across it as a director. You know, I did a revival of it at um, a theater in uptown Manhattan. I, I forget the name, but I, I loved it. It was so free and so sharp and so smart and so funny. And when I had the opportunity to be introduced to Central Works through you, I thought I want to do an adaptation of classic contemporary work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, instead of going sure. back to Shakespeare, instead of going back to Sophocles, which I have done, I thought, what if I go back to the great women writers? What if I go back to the great male writers, the people I loved? George C. Wolfe, Maria Elena Fornes, and I used their material as a springboard to talk about ideas that I wanted to talk about. And mm -hmm. I thought in terms of the annex that what would be fun is to kind of update for colored girls uh, who've considered suicide when the rainbow isn't enough and, and to really get into where are black women now and how did we get here? And the idea of going from slavery to sort of the present day, I kept a lot of the framework of George C. Wolf. So uh -huh. just as there are 11 exhibits in George's work, there are also 11 exhibits in my work. But I also wanted to do something that would reach a contemporary audience. So I actually have the women building the museum together with the audience. There's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of them commenting as well as being in the exhibits. And mm -hmm. it's just been a blast. And I'm, I'm so thankful to Central Works, you know, for giving me the opportunity to take a big chance. I mean, the construction of this thing was really tricky to kind of give a little sense of character arc without unbalancing the thing, to take mm -hmm. us from, you know, exhibit to exhibit and feel like it was a coherent whole instead of feeling like it was just a series of vignettes that didn't have anything to do with each other. Mm -hmm. And to, to really sort of like lay into two ideas. I wanted both the audience and the performers to leave with a feeling of love and restoration. That this museum annex is a place where you go and you hear hard truths and you hear comedy and you hear sharp insights, but you leave feeling empowered. You feel leave feeling like you're a part of. Um, and it's not just black women's history, that it's focused on black women's history whether that's Latinx history or queer history or an older woman's history or a young activist perspective. But at the same time, it's all of our histories. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really about love and sharing for me in that way. And in that way, it's very different than Wolf's interpretation, which is, you know, much more focused on this on the satire. I mean, I hope my satire works. But the part of like really like leaving love in the mix was super important to me. That's lovely. I agree 100% that you were able to do that. And I remember the first time you described this play to me, I thought, wow, Mildred has guts to, try, <laughs> to actually create something based on George C. Wolfe, who I'm just such a fan. Uh, oh my God, so, he's brilliant. I know. A brilliant genius. director, a brilliant screenwriter, yes. a brilliant playwright. But I think it is a wonderful, wonderful annex and one that is was much needed, actually. So I really commend you on that. Oh, so you. you brought the play to the Central Works Writers Group. And maybe you can let us know about how that worked and how that might have influenced the development of the play. I, I mean, you know, you're the person who introduced me to Central Works, and I will have bottomless gratitude for that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the bottom line is what you have done for playwrights in San Francisco Bay Area as a representative for the Dramatist Guild, as the resident playwright of Central Works that's, you know, opened the door for so, so many people to come through and to be part of this big conversation. I mean, Central Works, I belong to the Actor Studio. I write for Antius, Company of Angels, Town Street Theater. I mean, I've had a lot of experience writing for a lot of different groups. And I've never been in a room where there was stronger discourse, where there was more insight. I mean, it's just a terrific place to take chances. You know, the mm-hmm. leadership of Gary in terms of, you know, moderating a room where there's no ego, where everybody's about the work, really allows different voices to thrive at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, we were together when you were working on Escape to Asylum and I was working on the Annex. And there could not be two more different plays. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that they both got support, both got the very, very best in terms of dramaturgical insight, tells you what kind of space Central Works is, that it's broad, that it's open, that it's evolving. And then in the end, it's about the excellence of the work. I agree. So... You have written a lot of short plays. For mm-hmm. example, I, I believe you're, you are or were a member of Playground, which is a I short am. play. Uh-huh. I am. I've, I've also been in Best of Playground. <laughs> okay, yes. And you were uh, you had a play, We Jump Room, in the Samuel French Off-Off Broadway showcase of short mm-hmm. plays. And the Museum Annex is the building of a series of exhibits and it's kind of both a short play as well as a full length so can you talk about short play versus long play and how writing them is different and similar sure um writing short plays for me is really about like creating a perfect short story you know, something that's polished, that lives independently. I know some people are able to go on and develop their shorts into full lengths. I've, I've not really had uh, success trying to do that because I think of them as short form from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I joined Playground because I wanted to learn faster because, you know, with Playground, you only have four days to write it. That's um, right. I've been del- yeah, which is crazy. Um, but <laughs> I've been delighted that, um, that uh, like several of the plays that I've written for Playground have been published. Uh, one of which uh, was in the best 10-minute uh, plays of t- 2020, another is under consideration. 
Um, and one of them, We Jump Room, uh, which is a favorite of mine, uh, went to the Samuel French Off-Off-Broadway Festival, which Teresa Rebeck and so many, you know, other luminaries have been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, um, and I'll just say briefly, it's about two Dahomey women. That's a specific tribe in West Africa who decide to marry under the stars um, after they discover that there is a sales pending. And, mm. you know, what the actors were able to achieve you know, in the festival during that performance was absolutely astounding. And it was especially, you know, significant to me because my first paid internship was at Playwrights Horizon. So in a lot of ways, it felt like a homecoming. But that's what I think short plays can do, you know, allow you to do something that can be put up easily. Um, as you, we all know, like getting a, a full production is, is challenging. I mean, mm-hmm. if most playwrights write a play a year, you know, you're only going to get produced fully really every couple of years unless you're extraordinarily lucky. And so mm-hmm. the writing the, the short plays allows you to be active, to try different things, to try experimentation, and, and usually to bypass the very much needed development process. But if you, I was always waiting for like a full-length production, you know, it could be years in between. And this is true yeah. for like the very, very best playwrights. I mean, Tony Kushner acknowledged that he can't make a living as a playwright. And yes. it's true for people who are sort of mid-career. It's true for people who are emerging. And, and so for me, the short plays are about that short story and being able to continually be active as an artist, to connect with the people who like my work, and mm-hmm. to connect with things that I might not be able to explore in another way. Well, We Jump Room is lovely. I just love that play. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, I always ask a question about the pandemic. Uh, because that's why we started this Central Work Script Club was when we were in lockdown and we were, you know, seeking ways to connect with our community of theater lovers. And so we post a play and then we talk to the playwright about it. So I've talked to a number of playwrights about the lockdown that we had and how it influenced the way and kind of, I mean, for some people, if we could write, right it it affected us so um i i've noticed that my process has changed a bit uh what was your experience i can't really say that it changed my process since mm-hmm. i never really had a coherent writing okay process. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> I, I usually start with index cards or just notes jotted down and then i use a combination of scrivener and uh, writer's room pro to outline it, and then then I go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, what the pandemic did was uh, it made my heart bigger. I was I feel much more urgently that anything that we have in our society that allows people to connect, and 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 it doesn't have to be something dramatic. It doesn't have to be something topical. It can be something that merely gives people a release. But anything that we can do is so critical because the pandemic revealed so many things about the flaws in our society, the level of loneliness, the Mm -hmm. level of isolation, our vulnerability to misinformation, our vulnerability to authoritarianism and to fascism. And, you know, while everybody will not automatically go to the theater, when they do come to the theater or when they do listen to our podcast or when they do see our things online, I want them to have that collective experience that our Todd talked about, you know, in terms of theater being almost a holy sacred space. Mm-hmm. where we can come and we can share. And I feel, a, since the pandemic, a much greater sense of urgency 
to provide that work. And again, that does not mean that I'm only writing serious things, political things, topical things. I feel as much uh, responsibility to give somebody just space to breathe mm-hmm. and to laugh, to, uh, to love, to question um, in a way that I, in, uh, with an urgency that I didn't feel before. So that's really I, I what think, the pandemic yeah. has done is, is it's made my heart bigger and it's made me quite a bit more focused on what originally drew me to the theater, which was the opportunity to gather and to share, to talk, to love. It's so important. They've done studies that people's breathing and their heartbeats synchronize Mm -hmm. during a theater performance. And I think, I, I mean, I don't know if they have studied that with film, but I think because the actors are going through the experience at the same time as the audience that it is such a strong connector for people and that it is very very important and very heart opening for people so i'm i mean film the i mean because i teach film and theater um Mm -hmm. it's completely i mean the the conditions of reception are completely different i mean with film Mm -hmm. if we're thinking about it in classical terms it's like a dream you're in a dark room with strangers watching flickering images. I mean, going all the way back to Plato's cave. That's Mm -hmm. a materially different situation because you're alone in a crowd. An audience is a collective at Mm -hmm. the theater. We're Mm -hmm. laughing together. It's the reason why it's so hard to do a comedy with a half empty house, you know, because we're breathing, as you say, we're breathing together, we're laughing together, we're we're weeping together. And there's that space to talk. It's like the difference in a way between traveling by rail which always promotes like friendships and conversations versus traveling Mm -hmm. by plane where you so seldom talk to somebody, even if they're sitting right next to you for hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. So you had the opportunity to uh, come up from LA Mm -hmm. uh, where you live and you went to the opening night, the opening Mm -hmm. weekend, in fact. And so let me ask, what are a couple of your favorite moments from the play? Well, first, I have to thank the director, Elizabeth Carter, who worked so hard to understand the play and to get a grip on it. And it's a complicated play to do because there are those levels. They Mm -hmm. are in the exhibits, but they're also building the museum and interacting with the audience. And Mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to direct. So kudos to Elizabeth for that. And then the cast, I just can't say enough about. Um, I wanted always to have a very diverse cast in terms of age in terms mm-hmm. of uh, gender identity, in terms of ethnic background, so that there's one person who is uh, Caribbean or African descent, one person who's queer, one person who's disabled, one person who comes from kind of a traditional Southern background and so on. And just the picture of those women on stage, interacting together, building this museum together, satirizing history, loving on each other has been a joy. And each person has brought something mm-hmm. unique to it. Success, you know, with her her amazing voice and her force. Uh, Julia, with her smarts and her her sharp wit. Brittany, I think, brings such power in both her singing and in her acting. Mm -hmm. Brenda, who joined us a little bit later in the process, is our young upstart, and she brings that whole Latinx energy. She brings that whole, like, young rebel energy. But she Mm -hmm. does it with heart, and she does it with compassion. Mm -hmm. And then... um, Uh, Juanita, who is a wonderful, wonderful singer, you know, coming in and really being kind of the the bedrock as the older woman in the show, 
uh, and but having so much fun, you know, with her sexuality because I wanted to write an older woman who wasn't, you know, sort of dead from the waist down, who <laughs> has her, her moments of like fear and anxiety and learning brings so much to the table. And I, I would be remiss not to mention the, um, the designers who are just fantastic. The costume design and gotta shout out Alicia for the projections. I I know you haven't seen the show, but each exhibit has a title, and the the title is projected on the Central Works wall. And she has done amazing creative work that would be well served in any museum. I mean, just incredible work. Greg popped in and really made each museum exhibit have a sonic world, which is what I dreamed yes. of. And the, and the costumes, you know, again, Miss Berlin has done herself proud. You know, I wanted something simple, um, but something that really, like, every time that you looked up, you knew which world you were in, you knew what you were dealing with, and she came in and she just did the thing. So yeah. the cast, the design team, the leadership of Jen and, and Gary through this pandemic, the fact that they kept Central Works going, the fact that they paid the actors, the fact that they paid the designers, um, huge kudos to them uh, because without their heart and their commitment, you know, obviously the annex wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to thank all of our supporters too. We had a really strong show of support from theater lovers throughout the pandemic who really helped keep us, keep us afloat. And we're so, so grateful for that. And that's so, a testament uh, to the quality of work that's been done over the years. I mean, that relationship wasn't built in a day and it wasn't built just because of the pandemic. I can't say enough. It's we've really, really just seen a huge outpouring of support, which we appreciate so much. Thank you, supporters. <laughs> Speaking of uh, designers popping up unexpectedly. Yes. Um, I um, this uh, Patricia didn't know I was going to do this and I didn't know I was going to do this. But just thinking about favorite moments from the show. Um, I, I, I wonder if I could maybe pop in with something. Oh, Absolutely. Do. This is Greg Sharpen, <laughs> Gregory Sharpen, who is our, the sound designer. Please. Uh, I, I, He's I, also I, our engineer for this podcast. <laughs> sitting here in my little booth. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I noticed over the course of looking at, you know, watching the rehearsals and watching the runs as we were leading up to opening, um, one line especially really stuck out to me and kind of how it resonated through the rest of the play. And that was, names make meaning inside of us. Mm. Um, and thinking about the way that names and words are expressly um, deployed throughout the play, both on a personal level, on a sociological level, you know, broad group level, and the specificity of names, I mean, coming as a writer, these are all very important, but the fact that you so personalize the idea of what a name means um, mm. and how that goes through the entire play, I found really, really moving. And so I'm wondering if we could maybe just talk a little bit about that idea about names making meaning inside of us. Sure. Um, the idea of names making meaning inside of us really comes from Toni Morrison and from Maria Elena Fornes, who's a, you know, a, a, just a heroine of mine in terms of her writing. Um, once we start to think about what history has meant to all of us, not just African-American women, but I'm thinking here of Jewish people who changed their names and how changing their names changed their relationship to America, changed their relationship as an immigrant. When I think of people whose names were botched when they came through Ellis Island, 
you know, and, and had to kind of go back and retrace and reclaim those roots. When I think of Native Americans who were obliged to take names often that didn't reflect their identity, um, well, on, on the broadest level, America is a place where names have been treated often in a very careless and sometimes a very um, uh, hurtful way. So I wanted to capture that because that's a place where I think almost all of us can identify, you know, on that national level, but also on the individual level, you know, the care with which your name was chosen, you know, what the, you know, I, I was even, even, you know, as, as, as we get older, you know, I, I remember that people called me skeet when I was little for mosquito and I was little and tiny and now I'm round and chubby and people call me Mildred. <laughs> So, you know, as your names change, you know, it reflects growth, it reflects change, it reflects evolution. And I wanted to really look at, like, the shift from Piccaninny to Negro to color to black to African-American to Afro-American because I think it reflects so much of what the African-American contribution has been mm -hmm. and how that contribution has been perceived and how, I, and all, how also identity has been perceived. So I'm really glad that you picked up on that. That's something that's really threaded throughout the play. And um, I'm hoping that people look into that and see themselves and also see our country and see the possibilities for our country because we can keep renaming ourselves until we become what the founders envisioned, knowing how imperfect they were, knowing how troubled they were, so that we can make the Declaration of Independence, so that we can make the Constitution real, especially in a time that's as challenging as the time that we're living through. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So are there other favorite moments? I'm sure there's a lot of favorite moments, but are <laughs> there, uh, can you name a couple or maybe some threads? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll name a couple of favorite moments and a couple of threads. Um, okay. I love, I am a space nerd. So the final exhibit where she takes off into space, which is meant to take us all, the characters and the audience into the future. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know what's going on with all the telescopes and all the, you know, the, you know, just everything that's going on in physics at the moment, opening up these broad new perspectives into the galaxy. And I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that we ended the play in a place where we thought about not just what has been and not just what is, which is troubling, the, the rise of authoritarianism, the pandemic, um, the continuing situation of poverty and want. But I really want people to leave thinking about what could be. You mm -hmm. know, to imagine not just like the end of things that are troubling us, but to really be thinking about like, what are the possibilities? What would I, if it were a perfect world, what would I want it to look like? Mm -hmm. So the NASA exhibit was super important to me. And, um, and I'm really glad that, that Gary was supportive of allowing me to have her take off, the one character take off into space, into the unknown, without having to, you know, I think there are many uh, dramaturgs would have been more inclined to have it end on a cheery little note, right, where we know that she's okay and so forth. And from the beginning, Gary was very supportive of my vision for that. So... That's a favorite moment in the play. I love that exhibit. That's oh. one of my favorites, too. And I love the Let's Talk About Sex exhibit, because I don't <laughs> think that, I don't think we, we, I mean, we're drenched in sex, as I say in the play, but I don't think we really talk about it that much. We don't talk about what we want, what we need. We're not taught how to negotiate and advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, it meant the world to me to have a, a woman who was older talk about her sexuality 
and to have a young woman who was religious talk about her sexuality because those are things that are often treated as taboo or secret or, or, or weird. And I want to normalize like a, a, a pro-sex kind of uh, uh, perspective in people. So that's another one. And also we have this wonderful curtain um, for those who are listening of dental dams and condoms. It's just spectacular. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that. <laughs> Cool. So those are our two favorite moments, and, and I guess I'll give you um, also some themes. Um, the theme of growth through, and I really worked hard on this, uh, a kind of conflict that was not belligerent. Uh, I'm, you know, as a feminist, I, I don't really enjoy sort of simplistic conflicts between women. Mm-hmm. And portrayals of women that are like cat fights where you know, people seem kind of witchy for no reason or they, they come into it with attitudes or things like that. So I really tried to look at a complex, complex uh, conflicts that works that are expressed in complex ways uh, that go beyond what we see on Dynasty or, you know, the CW or in reality shows. And I hope that as people look at those threads throughout the play, that that will be clear to them. I think it's so important to... The way the way that you carefully looked at tropes and so mm-hmm. on and avoided or satirized them is really quite strong. Oh, I so. think that satirizing those tropes is absolutely necessary because we're we're so pumped full of them. <laughs> with absolutely. That I, I think a lot of times people forget that they are tropes and that we don't have to live by them. I, I see my students sometimes, you know, making uh, duck lips like Kim Kardashian and I'm like, you know, you can pose another way. exactly i am going to make sure that for our podcast i post a link to your audio play Mm -hmm. with antius theater and i'll post to your new play exchange page um also in case people would like to read other plays of yours woohoo for new play exchange (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Anything? I mean, I think it's just a, a wonderful ensemble, and I, I can't say enough about the directing, the acting, the design team. I hope that you'll come. I hope you won't feel uh, uncomfortable about laughing. You're meant to laugh. It's interactive, but you don't have to participate. You can just kind of sit back in your chair and chill. Um, and I hope not only for this play, that you'll continue to support Central Works. This is the 69th premiere, and so many of the playwrights who've come through Central Works have gone on to do wonderful, amazing things. So it's not just about supporting my play, but supporting like this incubator, you know, Mm -hmm. that has been steadfast, you know, for the playwriting community and made it through the pandemic. And I'm hoping we'll live long beyond, you know, our participation in it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mildred. It's been a pleasure. It has been a joy to talk to you, Patricia Milton. Thanks for joining us for the Central Work Script Club. For more information about Mildred's work, take a look at our podcast notes. We've placed links in there for you. For information about the Museum Annex at Central Works, to read the script, and to order tickets, please visit centralworks.org.